Hey everyone! In case you haven't noticed, we live in some confusing, challenging, and changing times. It sure isn't easy to follow Jesus in 2021. How can we stay grounded in our faith? Stay true to biblical convictions? And how can we become more like Christ and share Him with the world around us? This is Real Christian Talk with Pastor Steve. Thank you for joining me on this week's episode of Real Christian Talk. And to be true to the name of this show which the Lord placed on my heart, we're going to be talking about some very tough, controversial, and sensitive topics in this week's episode as well as the next several. In case you haven't noticed, society and culture is very loud and proud when it comes to its messaging on sexuality. And yet most Christians either try to ignore the subject or we're ignorant about it. And the reality is the Bible is very explicit in what it has to say about what God intended for our sexuality. And in case you haven't noticed, in 2021 America, we can no longer keep our heads in the sand, no longer try to tiptoe around these very real, complex, sensitive, and controversial topics. It's time for the church to be as loud in its messaging as our culture is. Because unfortunately, the world in which we live in is doing all of the talking when it comes to sexuality, sexual morality, what's right and what's wrong when it comes to sexual behavior. It's time for the church to get serious about looking at what God has to say on this very relevant topic. And so to begin, I'm going to be reading from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3, which says this, For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passionate lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us to for impurity, but in holiness." Therefore, whoever rejects and disregards this, disregards not man, but God, who gives you his Holy Spirit. And yet the sad thing is that the typical professing Christian does indeed disregard what God says when it comes to the proper place for sexual intimacy and sexual relationships. If you are a Christian who believes the Bible is the inspired, without error word of God, then scripture must be the ultimate authority by which we determine what is morally right and morally wrong, what is righteous and what is sinful behavior. It cannot be your personal feelings. It cannot be your personal inclinations and desires and passions. It cannot be uh, your compassion for family members or friends that you know and love. It cannot be what our culture tells us in its messaging. Ultimately, we have to be going by Scripture, inspired by the Holy Spirit, now more than ever before, it is important, I believe, for all of us as Christians to have a very proper and thorough understanding of what God tells us about sexuality and gender. It's important for us to know these things because we are seeing the effects of what choosing to ignore or pay little attention to God's word on these issues is having on the church. 
One by one, we are seeing different branches of the Christian tree, different denominations choosing to acquiesce to culture, to compromise its doctrinal teaching and and moral teachings and standards on sexual behavior. We're seeing Christian colleges beginning to open the door uh, by forming uh, LGBTQ-affirming student-led body clubs. We're seeing Christian organizations and agencies like Bethany Christian and others change its its understanding and definition of the proper placement for children and the nature of family and marriage. And I believe we are just beginning to see what is going to be happening, the cascade of compromise that awaits as pressure from culture begins to continue to increase here in the West and especially here in the United States of America. A little over a hundred years ago, The case was that society was telling Christianity it must evolve or die when it came to its its doctrinal teachings on theological truths about the nature of God and the miraculous and the supernatural and and Jesus Christ and and his miracles, the virgin birth, the physical resurrection. At the height of the the late 19th century with, with biblical criticism and the Enlightenment and Darwinian evolution all taking hold in the intellectual world, Christianity had a colliding point with society over those things. And so it was told to evolve or die. And the irony is, over time, the churches and groups that did indeed evolve were the ones who have died or are dying the most. And the ones who held to scriptural truths on those issues have at least weathered that storm. And at the time, society did embrace the moral teachings of the Bible. It did embrace the the philosophical and moral standards that Scripture gave, but it rejected the miraculous. It rejected the the theological truths wrapped up in in the nature of God, the miraculous, Jesus Christ, etc. Now things have flipped. Now today, you can have somewhat of, of openness with people in our culture about the miraculous, the supernatural, but it is the moral teachings of the Bible that are under attack by our society and specifically over sexuality. And again, Christianity is being told that it must evolve or die. And so again, we have a choice here. Will we choose to uphold biblical teaching on our sexuality and gender or will we succumb to the pressures of culture or to the passions we battle with our flesh? I believe that it's important now more than ever for us to be thoroughly acquainted with what biblical sexuality is. Now, what does that even mean? I mean, after all, Pastor Steve, are there not numerous examples that critics will point to of people that made horrible choices, that that had inappropriate, immoral sexual relationships? Is that not in the so-called good book as well? Everything from incest to polygamy to adultery to rape. Is that not in scripture even among some of the named heroes of the faith? Well, absolutely. The Bible is littered with examples of both good, bad, and ugly outcomes to good, bad, and ugly choices that we make. However, it is very clear from scripture what God's desires are for us when it comes to his intention for sexual intimacy for us. Because remember, he's the one who created that in the first place. And in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, after he makes Adam and Eve in his image in paradise, he tells them to be fruitful and multiply. He created them male and female, one man, one woman, for life, to be married, have a family, have children. 
and impart to them the ways and standards of God and of our sexual behavior. That is the pattern that Genesis and its opening chapters give us for God's intentions for our sexuality. He created us male and female in his image, biologically male and female in his image. God brought Adam and Eve together, one man and one woman, in heterosexual monogamous marriage. The bedrock of society and of civilization is marriage and family. And God's pattern and design is very clear in Scripture. And Jesus in the New Testament reaffirms quoting directly from Genesis, that at the beginning the Creator made us male and female, one man, one woman, together for life. That is God's desired intention for sexual intimacy and sexual expression, to be experienced only in that context. And outside of that context, the Bible calls that immorality. And immorality has various forms and manifestations, and that includes premarital sex, that includes adulterous sex, And yes, that includes homosexual and lesbian sexual acts, all of which is considered sin in both the Old and New Testament. And in the coming weeks, as culture is very loud and abrupt in its messaging, I do believe it's important to bring biblical teaching and a biblical response to these various issues that we have to deal with. Because again, we simply can no longer afford to be ignorant and no longer afford to uh, fail to pay attention to what God has to say about these issues. Because uh, just this week, Blue's Clues, a little show that my own kids love to watch, released a music video, a sing-along, celebrating June as Pride Month. And the sing-along tells children that some families have two daddies and some families have two mommies and some families are non-binary and there's trans people and on all these all this messaging that's coming from Blue's Clues to elementary age kids. My kids right now are only concerned with how many snacks they can get from me. They're not concerned right now about their sexuality or their gender identity. And yet elementary age kids are being bombarded with messaging on these issues. For the last several decades, sexual messaging, sexual immorality, and the envelope of what is considered morally permissible behavior from society has continued to be pushed with each decade in the last 60 to 70 years here in America. Long gone are the days when Lucille Ball on the show I Love Lucy couldn't say the word pregnant on national television. Long gone are the days when Elvis Presley shaking his hips was considered to be inappropriate behavior. We've unfortunately come a very long way in the wrong direction as a society. We have followed the pattern that Romans chapter 1 warns about when a society rebels against the Creator, choosing instead to go after its desires and pleasures, to worship the creature instead of the Creator, and in disregarding God's intention and design for our bodies and our sexuality, we are seeing the moral and spiritual downward spiral that comes in any society that chooses to disregard God and his word on these issues. And what breaks my heart particularly is how the church is is not all that different from the world when it comes to what individual Christians consider to be morally permissible behavior. I've read many articles 
many articles talking about how Christian couples are cohabitating and they're doing it just as much as non-Christian couples are. They're living together outside of marriage like it's nothing. The reality is God's word says it very clearly in the scripture I read. This is the will of God that you be sanctified, that you avoid sexual immorality. That tells me I don't have to think about or wonder what God's desire is for what I do with my body sexually. He has made it very clear what his desire is. It's whether we choose to care about what he has to say. But his will is very, very clear on this issue. There really is no debate over what the Bible has to say about sexuality. Even though many people are trying to make it sound like there is a debate. Let's go to scripture together. And let's see, what does the Bible really say about these issues? The Bible says, as a Christian, I'm to be sanctified. That means I'm to be set apart unto the Lord, that I'm to be set apart totally and completely out of love and loyalty to him and want to live a life that is pleasing to him. And part of what that looks like is choosing to avoid sexual immorality. Choosing to avoid sexual immorality means that I'm not going to make a series of choices that's going to get me in trouble when it comes to sexual temptation. And there's many episodes I could do, which I will, over how do we overcome sexual temptation? How do we overcome uh, the fight we have within for purity? But the purpose of this episode is to lay groundwork and a template for us to understand, as I do intend to address gay marriage, homosexuality, gender identity, all these very difficult and controversial, sensitive subjects, it's important for us to have a foundational understanding of what God's intentions are for our sexual behavior. Sexual immorality is any sexual intimacy or thoughts that are outside of the context of heterosexual monogamous marriage. Anything outside of that is considered to be sexual immorality. So God's word is very clear to us that he wants us to avoid sexual immorality and to learn how to control our bodies in a way that's holy and honorable. Why? Because our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit of God. And so there is a spiritual dimension to our sexual intimacy that the Bible tells us to consider. Christ lives within us through his Holy Spirit. And when we join with someone sexually, we are bringing the Lord into that union. And that's why it's very important that we only would do that in a union that is honoring of God. And that would be marriage and nothing outside of that. The Bible tells us that we are, as Christians, called to deny our flesh. Now, I know that's a message that really does not resonate well in today's culture. We're told to to go with what we feel is right what's going to bring us personal happiness and pleasure and satisfaction. We're not really interested in what's morally right or wrong, and we certainly are not interested in looking at what the Bible has to say about what's morally right or wrong. But for us as Christians, we should care about what the Lord has to say. And he says that if we want to follow him, we have to be willing to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow him. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will gain it. That seems to not make much sense up front. But the reality is that if we deny our passions of our flesh and our fleshly desires through the power of the Holy Spirit who lives within us, who we are told gives us the divine power and grace we need to live a life of godliness and victory over sin, when we are willing to deny ourselves and the fleshly uh, desires that war within us and choose instead to honor God, Ultimately, 
will have even better satisfaction, better pleasure, better fulfillment, which will come through choosing to live for Jesus and choosing to deny what our sinful flesh wants. While culture will tell us that the desires we have are simply natural and we should go ahead and and, and fulfill them and whatever is going to bring us happiness and, and bring us pleasure is not something to be denied, the Bible tells us that while everything God created, including sexual intimacy, is good, it has since been perverted and corrupted because of sin. And we are born with a sinful nature which dominates our hearts, our minds, and our thinking and our living. And that sinful nature, that sinful compulsion that we are born with, a disease that's been passed down to every single one of us ever since Adam and Eve chose to rebel against God and His will for their lives, we all have this same compulsion. And that compulsion manifests itself in different ways, with different temptations, different desires that are not in line with God's desires for us, different temptations. And so we have to choose as Christians, whether to live in purity or impurity. I remember when I was a teenager going through my own hormones and I was wrestling with what to do about the desires I had within myself. And it was just at the time when I started to get serious about my Christian faith. I was in the church. I was in youth groups and I was told that sex out of marriage is a sin and that I have to avoid all that. But I would always hear about, you know, the potential consequences of of getting someone pregnant out of wedlock or having an STD or the emotional harm that comes with, with, uh, you know, having sex with someone and, and not realizing that it's more than just a physical act. It's a spiritual act. But the truth is none of those reasons ultimately stuck out to me as much as what I heard once from a Christian rapper who unfortunately himself fell into sexual sin and sexual temptation. But this this artist once said, and I've never forgotten it, that the real reason we as Christians choose not to do these things is because we love God, because we love him. And Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey my command. And the reality is that God is the one who created our bodies. He's the one who created sexual intimacy to be expressed. And and, and so he's the one who knows what's best for us. And he's the one who wants us to enjoy what he created in the best possible way. And so we have to choose again if we're willing to take his word for it. Or if we want instead to live by our flesh and to make choices that will have detrimental outcomes later. You know, as a Christian, having been raised in the church, I've seen many, many whom I love. One in particular, who I sometimes think about, who had so much potential, so much potential for his life. But unfortunately, the downward spiral that destroyed him started with poor choices he made when it came to sexual sin. And that sadly is not an isolated incident. That's the story for many. Sexual immorality has always been perhaps the biggest issue that has tripped up Christians throughout all time, not just here in 2021. God intended marriage between a man and a woman to be a reflection of his own relationship with us, between us and him as the church and the Lord. And so marriage is sacred. Sexual morality is sacred. Our bodies are sacred. And it's time that we resolve to take these issues more seriously and not 
so casually. I myself chose to wait until marriage to my wife. And by God's grace, I was able to do that. And the reality is, I still believe that even if purity culture had its abuses and had its its pitfalls and there's been so much negative uh, talk about purity culture from the 90s and how horrible it was and some of the main proponents of purity culture have now renounced the Christian faith altogether. But I'm here to tell you, purity culture certainly had its flaws, but purity still works. And it's God's best for your life and for mine. So it's important that we have a good, thorough understanding of what God's best is for our sexuality. Because when we understand way from the beginning in Genesis, the pattern that God established, hopefully it helps bring some clarity as to why the issues we are confronted with in our culture today, casual premarital sex, homosexuality and lesbianism, by non-binary and binary relationships, transgenderism, all these things that we are now forced to reckon with and have answers for, for the people that do come in our churches that do struggle with, I love Jesus, but I feel this way. How do we respond in a loving, graceful, but biblical way? Those are the issues we will be talking about over the next few weeks here on Real Christian Talk. But I hope and pray that for today, this reminder of what God's design and intention is for our sexuality and gender, knowing that God created us male and female, that he made us to be different as men and women, but also to to be able to come together in such a beautiful and sacred, magnificent way that's a beautiful reflection of God himself with us in Christ. That is why Satan is working so hard to pervert and to distort the good that God intends for our sexuality. As I get ready to close out this episode, I wanted to read a quote that I saw from an article that stood out to me. A quote that I think is important in capturing the essence of what we are called to do according to 1 Thessalonians 4, with the sexual urges and passions that we have. He said this. He said, For many, the cost of discipleship looks cruel and unusual. I suspect in most cases that's because we're not counting the cost of discipleship in other areas of life. After he referenced the effects that that has for those who identify as LGBTQ. He goes on to say, Jesus says all of us have to say a profound no to some of our deepest longings and intuitions. That is discipleship. Jesus says it up front. He doesn't bury it in the small print. The wonderful paradox of the Christian faith is that as we deny self, we become our real selves. And that's what Sam Alberry said on the Gospel Coalition's article recently about how to uphold biblical sexuality in a very shifting culture when it comes to sexuality. So I want to encourage you, as I always do at the close of every episode, from 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 13 through 14, to stand firm in your faith and let everything that you do be done in love. God bless.